You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. This morning we're going to continue talking about the Father God. We're in a series talking about the nature and the characteristics of our God. And uh, so this morning we'll talk about the Father who provides. The Father who provides. You know, parents think a lot about their, the names they give their kids. They put a lot of thought into it. I know when we named our children, we put a lot of thought into what we're going to call our kids. And, uh, and I hope they like their names. Uh, you, you, you hope they do, that they like their name. And uh, some of them have uh, expressed different opinions, and, and some prefer to go by their nicknames or whatever. But parents think a lot about, about what they're going to name their kids and put a lot of effort into it. I don't know how much thought Keith Richards from the Rolling Stones put into when he named his daughter, but apparently he named one of his daughters Dandelion. I'm not sure what was going on in his head or what he was doing when he named his daughter that, but as soon as she was of age, she changed her name to Angela. Can't really blame her. I wouldn't want to go through life being named Dandelion either. So anyhow, you, you put a lot of thought into the names of things. Uh, if you blog or you Twitter or if you're on the internet or chat rooms, you usually give yourself uh, a handle, a, a name. And uh, those names can be quite interesting. They'll actually reveal some things about you. And we could do a survey this morning of people who have different names in, in, your, in your Twitter, your chat room, or maybe your Facebook. You give yourself different names. Names reveal a lot about the character of someone. They, the way they live, what they do, that name takes on the, the nature of that that person, if I said the, the name Tiger Woods, what would you think of? Golf. Yeah, it just comes to mind because that's what he does. He golfs well, so we think of golf when we say Tiger Woods. If I said the word Hitler, what would come to your mind? Evil. Somebody, I heard that one. There's some other words. That, because that's what he did. So his, his name takes on that characteristic. If I said the name Bill Gates or Warren Buffett to you, what would you be thinking of? Money. Because those guys know how to make money. So you, you, that's what comes to your mind. Because that characteristic is associated with that name. If I said the name Beethoven, what would come to you? Music, because that guy made amazing music. So now I say, if, if I say the word God to you, ah, what comes to your mind? Love, okay. So we, we have some thoughts coming already. The whole purpose of this series is that we really understand the characteristic and the nature of our Father. Why is that so important? Well, Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, it's in your notes, says the people who know their God who know their God, who know his characteristics, who know his nature, who, knows, who knew, know what he does, those people will what? They shall be strong and they will carry out great exploits. This series on the nature of God is so that we will become strong and do great exploits. Would you read this verse out loud with me this morning? The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Let's, let's do it one more time, all reading this out loud together. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. Folks, it's really important that we know the nature of our God. To understand Him as we do, it produces strength in us and we're able to do great exploits. A lot of people have this misconception of God. They've got some misinformation about Him or they have some warped idea about God and they never flow in the strength of God and fulfill the purpose that God has for them. Just as a review, I put them in your notes there because some of you may have missed the earlier ones. We talked about the Father who protects 
And in that series, we talked about Hagar, the one who was uh, back in Genesis, the, the, the servant that Abraham had uh, brought into his home, and they produced a child, Ishmael. Jehovah Roah was the name that we came out of that story. Jehovah Rapha, the father who heals. Jehovah Shammah, the father who's there for you. Jehovah Shalom, the father who brings stability or the father who brings peace. That was rich. We really saw just an amazing response of people when we talked about the fact that God is peace in our lives, brings stability in the midst of a storm. What we need in our battles more than anything else is stability. So we talked about that. And then we talked about the father who forgives uh, last week with Pastor Carl Gustav Severin when he was here, and this is the name Jehovah Shidkenu. So these are names of God, and hopefully when we hear God, it's these characteristics that come to our mind as we think about him. Today we're going to talk about another name for God, and that's Jehovah Jireh. This is a little more popular than some of the others. We may, there's songs that have been sung about this one and so forth. This one means the Lord will provide. So if you want to fill in the blanks, your blanks are will provide. That's what this means. God, in different times, would reveal his characteristics, and out of that, his name would come forth. His, who he is comes forth. And back in Genesis, when Abraham went to offer up Isaac on an amazing test, God reveals another side of him, and he is the God who provides. So if you have your Bibles, go to Genesis chapter 22, and we'll be in that chapter for most of this morning. Genesis chapter 2. It says here, now it came to pass after these things, or yours, I'm reading my Bible, the one in your notes a little bit different. It says, later on, God tested Abraham's faith and obedience. Abraham, God called, yes, he replied, here I am. The first verse, it says that he, he was there to uh, test Abraham's faith. And it said, later on, another translation says, after these things. This is not the first test that Abraham had gone through. Abraham had done many other tests before this point. Kelly, in her sharing about the Ukraine, talked about her. It was really a test of her faith to be there. And faith gets tested. The reason faith gets tested is because God wants to take you to a higher grade. You got tested in grade one, and then you went to grade two. You got tested in grade two, and you went to grade three. Grade 12, you wrote some tests, and you could go to university. University, you wrote some tests, and you could go on. Life is full of tests. God does not give you a test to make it hard for you. He gives you a test to give you a promotion. That's the reason for the test. And God was testing Abraham not to put him under pressure, not to make him uncomfortable, not to make it hard for him, but to take him to the next level. Kelly shared some of her tests there in Ukraine. It was challenging. It was uncomfortable. God didn't do it just to make her uncomfortable, but God did it because he wants to take Kelly to a higher level. And when you experience tests and challenges in your life, it's because God wants to take you to a higher place. That's why James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, various tests, that the producing of your faith, it'll produce something, it'll produce endurance, it produces strength in your life. This test that God's going to give Abraham is perhaps the greatest faith test of any man in the Bible. I don't know of a higher faith test of anybody in the Bible. You know, in 1953, May 29th, Sir Edmund Hillary reached the summit of Mount Everest at 1130 in the morning. He was the first man to stand on the highest pinnacle of the earth. 29,000 and some feet above sea levels where he stood that day. 
An amazing journey, months of preparation, lots of hard work. There was no ropes to follow. There was no course. Nobody had ever gone up. Today, you can hire somebody to carry up Mount Everest if you like. Back then, you couldn't do that. It was an amazing, difficult, painful climb to the top of Mount Everest. But in, in the Bible, Mount Moriah, where Abraham climbs, I think is the highest peak of faith that anybody climbs. The only mountain that is higher is Mount Calvary, where Jesus went to. But this was an amazing climb of faith. It was steep. It was challenging. It was months of preparation. He had done a lot of climbing before he came to this point. He had, he had already, you know, when you climb Mount Everest, you have to go to a certain height and get used to the oxygen at that level. And then they go to another camp, and they, they get used to that height. And then they go up the mountain, and they come back down, and they get their body used to it. And our walk of faith is very similar to that. God takes us to a place, and then we, it seems like we go up and we come back down, and then we go higher again. Mount Moriah was an incredible mountain of faith that Abraham would scale, and it was a, it was a, a mountain that from there, prophetically, it would point to something much greater, and that is that Jesus would go to Calvary for you and I. That would be the highest pinnacle of faith, really, in the Bible. He tested Abraham. Faith means to follow an instruction without an explanation. It's in your notes there. If you want to fill in the blanks, the word is instruction and explanation. He had to follow an instruction of God without a full explanation. Can you imagine God telling you to take your son, and he'd been believing for a son a long time, and God said, you will have a son. He has a son now. And he's supposed to take him to this, up to this mountain and sacrifice his son. It's the only time God asks anything like this in the Bible. So it's a very unique situation. He says, take him up there to the mountain. He doesn't have a full understanding of it. Faith is that way. You don't always get an explanation for the instruction. He wants us to trust him. That's why it's a faith test. Because we're tested to trust him despite the fact we don't understand everything about it. You'll find God as a provider when your faith is tested. If you don't want your faith to be tested, if you say, I want to skip the faith exam, I don't want to be tested, I don't want to have that level of surrender or sacrifice, then you're not going to find Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh is found in the position of surrender, and Jehovah Jireh is found when we sacrifice, when we lay down, when we abandon our lives. If we don't want to abandon our lives, if we don't want to surrender to His will, you will not find, you will not know. Jehovah Jireh. He was introduced in a moment of huge surrender, of huge sacrifice. And when we lay down our lives, we say, Lord, I surrender to you, not my will, but your will. It's there that we meet him. It's there that we see God supernaturally provide for us. Jehovah Jireh means the Lord who provides. And really, he's provided even before we get there. Another translation for Jehovah Jireh is the Lord who sees. He, He sees what's coming and he's already prepared for you before you get there. And when you say, well, man, God, you had this all in store for me. Sometimes we look around and say, God, how did, you, how did you line this all up? We're not that smart. How did you get this all together? It's, that's his nature, Jehovah Jireh. You enter in through that. You, you open that door of the supernatural through surrender and through just this abandonment, uh, sacrificing your life to him. Say, Lord, I will surrender to you, not my way, but your way. If you want to, because God will not impose himself on you. If you say, you know what, I, I, I want to use my ideas. I want to use my intelligence. I want to use, it's all about me, and it's about my wisdom. It's about my 
bank account is all about me, then God will let it be about you. Because he will not intrude. He will not go where he's not invited. But if you say, Lord, I will give all that I have to you, like the boy with the loaves and the fishes, and say, Lord, you take it and multiply it. Wow. Then you'll meet Jehovah Jireh. And it will be amazing how he provides in your life. Supernatural. So when God tests you, remember, he's not trying to take something away from you, but he's trying to position you for a promotion. The Bible says the path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter. Faith is sometimes a challenging thing to understand. There's a guy, he's hiking up the mountains. As he gets near the top, he he slips and he falls over this cliff edge. And as he's going down the side, he's got his fingers, he's looking for something to grab. He's scraping for anything, digging his feet in. And he finally grabs onto this little, little tree that's growing out of the side of the cliff. And he's hanging on for all he's worth. And this thing looks like the roots are going to pull out at any minute. And he looks up, 30 feet up is the top of the, of the, of the trail. He looks up, he says, is anybody up there? Can anybody help? And to his surprise, he hears God respond, yes, God is here. He says, oh, God, can you help me? And God says, yes, just let go. At which he says, is anybody else up there? (laughs) And sometimes that's what we feel like. God, is anybody else up there? Because God wants that type of surrender. Yeah. Abraham had done a lot of faith tests before he got to this one. This is a big one. He left his homeland. He'd been in and out of Egypt. He had given Lot the better land. By the way, Lot wasn't tested like this. Lot wasn't tested because he wanted shallow living. He wanted an easy way. So he didn't get these kind of tests, but nor did he have the rewards that Abram found. Uh, God desires us to know that he's a good God, to know that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a good God. Uh, Let's go on. That's Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Then he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, verse 2 here, Genesis 22, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So Abram arose early, verse 3. He rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey. Some would procrastinate. Some would say, you know, I'll sleep in this morning. I really don't want to get on with this. But he's up early. Faith doesn't procrastinate. Faith says, we're going to get at this. So he takes his donkey, two of his young men, and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering. He rose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the day, third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Abraham said to his young men, stay here at the donkey, the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So he was going to go alone with Isaac from there on. Genesis 22, 5, it's in your notes. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the young man. The boy and I, now he's not really a boy in our terms. He's, we know that he's, depending on who you read, which theologian, he's either between 15 and 20 years of age. So this isn't a little three-year-old child. He's, he knows what's going on. He's, he's, a, he's aware enough to know that this is a very different day in his life. So the Bible says here, the boy and I will travel a little further. We will worship there. Now, understand, there's no guitars up there. There's no drums up there. There's, there, there, it's, a, it's a windy mountaintop. 
Worship is about your surrender. Worship is about you abandoning yourself to God. Say, God, you are number one in my life. And this really was a test for him. Was this child number one in his life or was God number one in his life? And worship is a surrender. We're saying, God, you're number one in my life. When we, we sing this morning, we're saying, God, you're number one in my life. So he said, we will worship there. But you have to like the faith of Abraham. Because God's asked him to go up and offer up his son as an offering. And yet it says, and we will come right back. He doesn't say, I'll be right back. He says, we'll come right back. So at this point already, Abraham knows that he will return. If God has to raise him up, God will do that. You could put in your notes there, Hebrews eleven nineteen, Because there it says that he knew that if need be, God would raise him up. This was the faith of Abraham. That's why I would call this the highest mountain of faith, because I don't know of another story of such amazing faith. Abraham is called the father of faith for good reasons. This is a story, you wonder, why would God do that? It seems like a weird thing for God to ask someone to say, take your son to the top of a mountain and offer him as a sacrifice. This does not picture a loving God. But if you understand, this is a drama for us. It's an illustration for us of what God the Father would do with his son. Then all of a sudden it makes sense. God was giving you and I a picture ahead of time of what Jesus Christ would do. There's many times that we talk about how we understand what Jesus went through. But God the Father was trying to give you a picture of what he went through when his son died for your sins. In Isaiah, in the Psalms, we have stories of what it was like, the prophets tell us, when Jesus would lay down his life. But this is a picture of what it was like for God the Father. What did Abraham go through on that day? What did the Father go through on the day that he allowed his son to be crucified for us? There's a parallel between Isaac and our Lord Jesus Christ. And I just went ahead and put some of those parallels there in your notes. We see Isaac as a picture of Christ because both were the beloved son. They both went freely. Isaac was not chained. He was not dragged up Mount Moriah. He went freely on his own accord. Jesus went freely. He said, I freely lay down my life. They were both alone with their father. Jesus had to go into the Garden of Gethsemane by himself. Isaac went alone. The two servants didn't go with him. They both carried wood up the mountain. Isaac carried the wood for his sacrifice. Jesus carried the cross up Mount Calvary. There's a parallel here for a reason. They both were bound in preparation for death. They were obedient unto death. They had complete confidence in their father. I think of Isaac's amazing confidence in his daddy to be bound and put on an altar and say, I trust you, father. Wow. It's an amazing story to meditate on. And our heavenly father had, when he saw Jesus go to the cross, our Lord trusted him that God would raise him up. And that's the last thing. Both were raised again from the altar. So God's giving us a snapshot of what it was like for the father to send Jesus to die for you and I. It's an amazing illustration. We call them types and shadows. We call them different things. But they give us a prophetic picture of what was to come. God wanted the world to know what Calvary was like from the standpoint of God the Father. In Genesis chapter 22 verse 14, Abraham has put Isaac on that that altar. And in verse 14, well, I'll read a little bit. uh, 
I'll start in verse 12 or verse 11 or verse 10. Or let's just go back to verse 6. Let's read the whole thing. Why not? So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife. That sounds cool. He took the fire in his hand. I was wondering, what does that look like, fire in his hand? I guess he didn't have any bick to flick, and he didn't have any matches, so they, they carried fire in their hand. Uh, and I was wondering what that looked like. Anyhow, and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Look, the fire in the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for burnt offering. Do you see the faith in Abraham here? He doesn't, he's not walking by what he sees. He's walking by faith. He knows his God already. His God will come through. You have to know Jehovah Jireh will come through for you. He is faithful. He watches over you. This is the nature of your father. Okay, verse Nine. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Angel of the Lord said, called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Very rare that God calls a person twice by their names. Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in the thickets by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Now here's verse 14. And Abraham called the name of the place. The first time we see this name of God, the Lord will provide as it said to this day, in the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. So here we have this name of God, this characteristic of God introduced to us, that he is the God who provides. Now, notice this provision was the right thing. If you have your notes, you want to fill that blank in. It was the right thing. The lamb was the right thing to be provided. God knows the right thing to provide for your life. Sometimes we, we think, God, I need this, this, and this. And then God shows up, he gives you something different. Why? Because he knows the right thing that you need. That's his nature. He's a good daddy. He gives you what you need. I mean, my kids ask for a lot of things, especially when they're younger. They say, you know, daddy, they would go to McDonald's every meal if we could. But I mean, that's not, that might not be the right thing all the time to go there. And so we ask God for things. God, I want this. But your father loves you enough to provide the right thing for you or the right way the right direction he'll provide the right thing he provided the right lamb the provision came at the right place it was in the mountain of moriah in the thickets the lamb was caught and god provides it at the right place sometimes we miss jehovah jireh because we're in the wrong place at the wrong time because we have not surrendered and we wonder where is this god but you haven't been at the right place at the right time god's prompted you to be there but you haven't decided to be there I, I think I was in the right place at the right time last night. Man, I tell you, we had a time worshiping God last night. It was the right place at the right time. And sometimes we miss Jehovah Jireh because this provision of God, because we want to do our own thing in our own place, and we're not surrendered. And so we don't see Jehovah Jireh come through. It got so quiet in this place. And then it was... The provision came at the right time. 
right thing, right place, right time. God's timing isn't the hard timing. Man, if we could do it, we'd put God into our little, we'd get out our iPhone or our PDA or our, our day timer. And we'd say, okay, God, could you please show up at this time? I'm coming on an appointment right then. That would be perfect timing. That'll get my deal through or that'll get me in the right relationship. And we would like to put God into our day timer. I mean, oh, God will not allow you to put him into your day timer. You are on God's schedule. Yeah. We'd like to do it that way, but it doesn't work. It's at his timing. Earlier this week, uh, Wayne and Libby, Wayne had asked me, he said, you know, who's one of the mentors in your life? I said, well, one of my mentors was, would be Brother Littlefield, the pastor we worked with in, in Tennessee. And uh, if anybody would knew God as Jehovah Jireh, he did, because he took care of the poor. When you help the poor, you really have to trust God for the provisions to take care of the poor. And, and he did. And one thing he taught us throughout the time there was that God might not be early, but he'll never be late. And, and boy, we've remembered that. God may not be early, but he won't be late. Often he shows up in the midnight hour, but it'll be the right time. Not your timing, but his timing, but he will show up at the right time. He had an amazing way of just knowing God, of just knowing God would provide. We were planning to come home for Christmas, and uh, we, had, uh, we didn't really have enough money to go home for Christmas. But as typical students, we're praying and trusting God for the funds to come home for Christmas. And every Christmas, Brother Littlefield would go out and, and he would give 2,000 children in Bradley County. This is down close to Chattanooga, Tennessee, where we went to school. He would take 2,000 children and he'd give every boy a toy, a truck or something. Every, doll got a, every girl got a doll. And then every girl got a, a coat and a pair of shoes, and every boy got a coat and a pair of shoes. They weren't used. They were brand new. And for 2,000 kids, how I many know oh, that's quite a bit of money? And my engineering background, I was doing the calculations. Okay, we've got 2,000 children. We've got a toy worth 20. We've got a coat worth 20. We've got shoes worth $26. So I'm, I'm calculating how much money this costs. It's about a month away from Christmas, and we're driving in his car. He always would have me drive, and he would sit in the back, and, and we're driving along. And so I said to him, Brother Littlefield, how much, uh, yeah, how, how many are you ready for? You're about a month away. How many do you have? How much money do you have ready for this, this 2000 I was really intrigued by this. And he said, oh, we have enough for about 70 I turned 70 I was going to help the preacher. I said, Brother Littlefield, you know that you only got a month to go. Uh, how are you ever going to do it? You said 2000 You only got 70 You don't have enough time. How are you going to do this? And it was as if I hit him or something. He was stunned. And he looked at me and he said, Jesus fail Brother Littlefield. Huh. I guess if it ever happens, I'll write a book about it. <laughs> and I never forgot that. So... He, we went home for Christmas, and I came back. I thought, okay, I'm going to check. Because I was thinking, I bet he didn't have enough. Because there's just no way. Me, just this man of faith, right? <laughs> I, I'm in elementary school faith back then. And so I said to him, I said, Brother Littlefield, how did it work out? He goes, oh, yeah, we got enough for 50 for next year left over. I go, what? How did that happen? He says, because there is a God who provides. He always called us children, little kids. He says, children, kids, remember, if you will surrender your life, if you lay down your life, you will meet this Jehovah Jireh. He will always provide for you. And over the years, we've seen that. The more we just say, God, it's yours. The more we surrender to him, the more he provides, the more he shows up.
I challenge you this morning, get to know Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. It may feel like it's a, a mountain experience. It's difficult. It's challenging. It's uphill. But it's in that moment, in that place, you'll meet Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. One verse, just to wrap up with here in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. It's a very well-known verse. Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles with you, go to Philippians chapter 4. We probably have already memorized this verse. It's a nice verse to memorize. It's a very warm verse. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It's a very nice verse. Isn't that a nice verse? I love that verse. But just before we go too far into the verse, would you notice that it starts with a conjunction? And? That means there's a thought connected to it. So that means something is done before we get to this verse. And we need to really, you can't just cherry pick scriptures, you know. It's, 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 it's kind of nice to do that. You can cherry pick any scriptures you want and build almost any theology you want. But that's not good theology. That's not a good study of God. So really it's good for us to read a few verses beforehand before we get to verse 19. Philippians chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 14. How about that? Uh, Nevertheless, you have done well with you shared in my distress, Paul wrote. Now, you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you alone. You guys were giving already. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Are you picking up that these people were surrendered? They were giving. They were trusting God with their resources. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all that abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things that you sent, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So before we get to verse 19, there was surrender, there was sacrifice, and then again we see, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Why? Because there was this sense of surrender, this sense of sacrifice, of worship. We meet Jehovah Jireh in a moment in our our living a life of surrender and sacrifice. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.